0: Welcome back to our study of Mark's Gospel. And in this video, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2. Now, it's very important to recognize how quickly Mark's Gospel moves on. So it kind of seems like we're going to be covering a lot of ground in this video, and it probably looked like we covered a lot of ground last video. That's because in Mark, you do cover a lot of ground. Uh, Just kind of reminding you a few things from chapter 1. Verse 1 of that chapter tells us the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark stopped, starts off and he immediately gets into who Jesus is and the purpose for this whole writing. We also find out that uh, during this time, uh, Mark doesn't include any details about Jesus' birth. He just goes right into Jesus is already adult and he's, he's uh, baptized in Mark 1 and then he goes on and he just is, is already ministering. Um, he's already healing people, casting out demons, different things. We've seen all of those things in the last chapter. But I also want to remind you that in verse 15, we find out one of the main messages of Jesus's, well, what his preaching is about, what his message is, comes to us in verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was the message about Jesus. And he invited um, those disciples to follow him. And disciples, uh, not just those 12 disciples that we call apostles, but the other disciples as well. They're all, all starting to recognize that Jesus is coming and he's preaching and he's proclaiming things, but he's got a different type of authority than what these other people do. There's something about him that is different, and that most certainly is going to be carried over into Mark chapter 2. So now let's dive into Mark 2 and notice some things here that the story continues on, and we can find out more and more about Jesus Christ. Let's look at this first story together, verses 1 through 12. but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Isn't this a wonderful story? Okay, Mark gives us so many stories like this. It most certainly is telling us that we need to understand the type of authority that jesus christ has now of course we're christians living 2,000 years after these events happen so we probably get a little bit more of a sense about the authority that jesus has and we we kind of already have uh those types of ways of discussing about jesus and you know talking about jesus um they were learning these things okay this is all kind of new to them but when you notice what, what's happening here i want to draw your attention to a few things that, that we've got going on for starters um, it is kind of interesting that apparently Capernaum was considered uh, of a home of Jesus. This seems to be kind of a little bit of a base that they, uh, they worked out of from time to time. Um, and that's that stated in verse 1. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily all that important. Just, you know, recognize that there is something about Capernaum and uh, that Jesus and his disciples, they, they did a lot uh, in that area. But we also find out from verse 2 something that we started to see already in chapter 1. And that is that that there's such large numbers of people that are coming. It's making it very difficult. That's why we looked at that story in chapter one, where Jesus actually went to a solitary place so that he could spend time with his heavenly father. And guess what? We need to understand that that we've gotta do that sometimes too. We need to take time to just go and, and be alone with our heavenly father. Not always be in the large numbers of people. It's okay to be there. And it's it's important to be there from time to time, be around everybody else. But there's also a very important time whenever we need to just kind of withdraw from everybody else and spend time with us and God. And right here, we see these, these large numbers are coming. And so many large numbers are coming that this one guy who is paralyzed, um, he has these four friends that they actually dig into the roof. It's kind of I don't know, it would be very interesting to see this whole scene unfolding. And, and to me, I kind of start wondering because obviously they couldn't have just kind of poked through the the uh, the ceiling just instantly. So it kind of took time. So what were the people who were inside the house who were crowded in and Jesus is in the midst of them? They start to hear something on the roof and then they start to kind of see things falling from you know the ceiling because you know, that, that would have happened at some point and then you start to see a man that's being lowered i mean it's just kind of it's an amazing scene but really what is so amazing is what jesus says to him the first thing that he is concerned with in verse five is he says son your sins are forgiven that's what he is concerned about with this paralyzed man now here's a couple of things i want to point out jesus is not saying that this man is paralyzed because of his sin okay I believe that we see from other passages, whenever Jesus forgives people of things and whenever Jesus heals people of things, uh, that he doesn't always make a connection. Uh, And in fact, sometimes he says, look, it's not because of this guy's sin that, you know, he is uh, inflicted with this this disease or something like that. It's just sometimes those types of things happen, just like for, for you and me. Sometimes we get sick. It's kind of part of this life that we live in. And this man, for one reason or another, is paralyzed. Jesus, of course, knows this man is paralyzed. But what he is so much more concerned about is that his sins are going to be forgiven. Because, okay, let's think about it this way. Which is more important about this man? The fact that for a few years here on earth, he's paralyzed. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I sure wouldn't want to be paralyzed. But if you are paralyzed, it's only going to be for a limited time here on this earth. But what Jesus is concerned about in verse 5 is that the sins of this man are forgiven. Because this forgiveness that this man needs to receive, uh, that's going to assure that he's going to to see Jesus in the next life, to see God and to be with God in the next life. And he's not going to have to worry about being paralyzed anymore. He's going to receive a new body. We need to really start to, to think about these things. It's great whenever God chooses to, to heal our, our suffering and our sicknesses here in this life. And I think that's wonderful. And I pray for those things uh, whenever I find out people who are, who are sick and who are ill and different things like that. I, of course, pray for them. But I mean, ultimately, these things are, are temporary things in this life. Sometimes they're difficult. Yes, okay. a lot of times they're difficult. But ultimately, Jesus is more concerned about this man's uh, sins being forgiven. But that causes a problem. Because they recognize something. Uh, in fact, they accused him of blaspheming, but you know who can forgive sins but God alone? in verse seven. You know that's also something that we need to recognize, and I think that we do believe and that we recognize today too, only God can truly forgive sins. I mean, you know, we can't really uh, forgive sins. We can help people receive forgiveness. We can help people in their, their walk with God, but we can't forgive their sins. God can do that. So whenever Jesus says your sins are forgiven, I believe what we see in here is he's making this claim that he is God and he's telling them that he is God. So he wasn't blaspheming because it's not a blasphemous statement if it is true. If Jesus says he's God, but it's a true statement, then it's not blasphemy. Now, if he claimed that he was God and he wasn't God, that would be blasphemy. And that's what they think is going on. But that's not what's going on. And Jesus actually proves that that's not what's going on. In fact, he asked them this question here in verse, uh, verse nine, you know, which is easier uh, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and, and walk. In verse 10, he gives the reason for why he does this healing. He says, I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So verse 11, he healed the man. He told the man to be healed and the man was healed. This proved that obviously if Jesus was able to heal this man, then he was also able to make that statement that your sins are forgiven. And both of them are true. Both of them take place. And whenever that happened, this amazed people. Verse 12, it says, this amazed everyone and they praised God. This is what a miracle is supposed to do. Supposed to draw our attention to to our God. And in this case, it's supposed to draw attention to Jesus Christ and show that he is truly who he claims to be. He has this authority. He has this power unlike any other except God. Now let's look at verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. But sinners. This tells us a lot of insight into why Jesus came and, and what his purpose was, and we see a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things here going on because Jesus is eating with what's called quote unquote tax collectors and and sinners. Um, you know, of course, we need to understand that we are all sinners, but this type of group of people are kind of shady characters. They're ones that were known as being sinners, but yet. We see that Levi, he's a tax collector. We kind of know him by the name uh, Matthew. You know, he was he was called by Jesus Christ to, to follow Jesus. And he did. Levi got up and he followed him. So this Levi, this Matthew, by the way, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. It's the same guy. He was a tax collector. That's where he came from. Now, let me also say this about this group that Jesus um, chose to to follow around, this 12 group of men. Well, we have right here, one of them was a tax collector. Another one is actually called Simon the Zealot. Now, it, it makes good sense that because he's called the Zealot, he would actually be considered one of these guys who's called the Zealot. And what they did is they they were really wanting Rome to be overthrown. In fact, several times they would like actively do things to try to overthrow the Roman government. Now, most of the time it didn't always go that well, but that's like their their driving force. That was their motivation. They... They just hated the Roman government. They hated this Roman oppression uh, that was happening during their time. Well, Levi, he's a tax collector. Guess who he works for? Well, he works in some way or another for the Roman government. Isn't that interesting? So you've got within this group of 12 men, you have at least these two individuals. And by the way, there's other uh, differences that you see in these groups. One of them is employed by the Romans and another one seems to really dislike, I would even say, that he hates the, the Romans and, and the things that they stand for and that oppression that they are doing. But yet you find both of them coming together as followers of Jesus Christ. This should show to us that whatever type of differences and things that we have in in this life and uh, maybe some, some different ideas that we have about how things should be done, if they should be done this way or that way or, or different people's occupation and stuff like that, um, Sometimes we might need to look at this group of 12 men and notice that there was some diversity in this group. But yet the unity came because they were all willing and able to follow Jesus Christ. Perhaps we need to uh, recognize those things about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ too. Whenever they are following Jesus and we are following Jesus, you know, there's some things we can disagree about. But yet our devotion to Jesus should be what what brings us together, what what drives us all forward to be able to, to uh, do things for the kingdom of God. So right here, we see Levi. He's a tax collector, and apparently tax collectors were uh, associated with, well, a lot of times they're called, you know, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, this phrase just kind of goes hand in hand. And Levi has apparently invited uh, a bunch of people to his house. So you've got these sinners at the house of this Levi, and Jesus is eating with them. Now, there's two things that I tend to see about this. You know, sometimes I see that that uh, some Christians, they don't want to have anything to do with people who they kind of consider sinful people. And, you know, they, they don't want to have anything to do with them because they don't want to be um, tainted by them. You know, they don't want to be overcome by, by wickedness or anything like that, which there is, at least to some degree, uh, there is some truth to that. But then what we also see in Jesus Christ is the fact that he was among these people. And we also see that the influence, it it works the other way in Jesus' case. Because these men who, uh, well, I guess these men and women who would be these sinners and tax collectors, when they spend time uh, around Jesus, which by the way, they feel okay spending time around Jesus. But also as they spend time with Jesus, guess what happens to them? They start to become like Jesus. In fact, in verse 15, it says there were many who followed him. I mean, when you look at that, it's many people who are in the tax collectors and sinners. They are following Jesus Christ. Now, this, of course, confused the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and it kind of sometimes confuses uh, Christians today whenever we see these types of things happening. This is the power of the gospel at work. This is exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. So we don't need to be The types of Christians who always just, uh, you know, perhaps look down upon people that we consider, you know, sinners. Jesus didn't do that. He brought them in and he he included them. He allowed them to be followers. Now, of course, we need to not be so much associated uh, with people of the world that we become exactly like them because that's not what Jesus does either. So we need to avoid both of those types of extremes. We need to avoid the extreme that goes so far as to say we can't ever associate with people who are sinful. But then we also need to avoid associating with them so much that the world can't see a difference between us and them. We are holy. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the life of Jesus and let's see from his example how to be able to, to be influential. I find it very amazing how he was able to um kind of in some way fit in with these tax collectors and sinners but at the same time he was still able to influence them and he didn't he wasn't brought down he brought them up it's amazing what we see here but then he just simply explains why he's doing this because he is our great physician and he has come not to call the righteous they're already following him aren't they he's come to call sinners remember repent because the kingdom of God is at hand that's the message that we see here that's the message that that Jesus is not only proclaiming with his mouth he's proclaiming with his actions now let's look at verses 18 through 22 now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting some people came and asked Jesus how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of Pharisees are fasting but yours are not Jesus answered How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins would be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wines skins. Okay, so what's going on right here? What do we see? We see that Jesus is telling them they live in a very special time. They live in a time whenever the bridegroom is still in their midst. Okay, this goes back to the association that uh, the church is called the bride of Christ. And right here we see the bridegroom is in the midst. So that's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to do things differently during that time. That's why Jesus' disciples weren't fasting but there will come a time whenever the bridegroom is not going to be in their midst and on that day they will fast guess what that's the time that we live in right now the bridegroom is not physically with us any longer so now yes there is a, a time of fasting so now we we might look like some of these other disciples of the pharisees and, and john's disciples in, in in some ways like that but what jesus is ultimately getting at is it's a special time that they live in and another thing that he's getting at talking about this new and this old stuff. He uses cloth and he also uses wine and wineskin. And those two images, I believe what we see right there is, is that Jesus is making this connection. He is bringing in a new covenant. If you try to act the same way that you did under the old covenant or try to do things the exact same way that you did under the old covenant, you're going to find out it's not going to work well for you. Because, you know, after all, the old covenant was full of all these sacrifices and and some of these different uh, different ceremonies and all that they took place, uh, that they took part in. But now in the New Covenant, we have the one sacrifice that Jesus himself, he was sacrificed once for all time. So that's just one of the differences. And of course, we see a, a lot of others as we look at the, the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that we see. But when Jesus Christ came, things were changing. They need to recognize that, you know, maybe the way that they approached things, maybe the way they dealt with things, That might need to be reevaluated, and maybe it needs to to be modified a little bit to accept these new things as being done through Jesus Christ. Speaking of new things being done through Jesus Christ, this final story that we see in Mark chapter 2 will kind of illustrate how things are going to be a little different in the reign of Christ. Verses 23 through 28 now. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is an illustration of what Jesus was saying with the whole wine scans and the cloth and everything. Jesus is saying things are different now. And the difference is the Lord is in their midst. You know, they were looking at these things and and they were saying, look, it's not right for them to, to, to behave like this on the Sabbath. They were they were eating, which, by the way, these things that they were doing, it, it was allowed by the law. But, you know. The Pharisees, they had their own way of looking at it, and they, they didn't like some of the things that that uh, Jesus' disciples were doing. They were getting very, very, they were looking very closely at Jesus' disciples. They were trying to find something wrong. And Jesus gives them this, this interesting story about David and his companions. They ate bread that was consecrated to God, that only priests were supposed to eat. Well, they were hungry. They needed food. That's the only food that they had. and they gave them that food. You know, the, the uh, they were uh, eating that food that they weren't lawfully supposed to eat. But in that case, physically speaking, they needed food. That was the food that they had. And Jesus was trying to get them to recognize that, look, you need to understand the purpose of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath, it was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So in this case, we see that the Son of Man, he's Lord even of the Sabbath. You know what that really tells us? That tells us that Jesus gets to make the rules. Doesn't it make sense? I've, I've said it this way numerous times and I'm sure I will continue to say it like this, but God created everything about this universe. Doesn't it make sense that he can make the rules that, that govern the universe that we have to abide by? Right here, Jesus' point is, look, the son of man is in their midst and he is Lord of even of the Sabbath. And if they didn't get that, They're going to see another example of it in the next chapter, which, by the way, these two chapters of Mark have all been telling us about how much authority Jesus has, how great Jesus is, this power and authority already in Mark's gospel. If you haven't, if you haven't ever read it up to this time, which I'm sure that that you have, but, you know, someone who is reading this for the very first time, by the time you get through two chapters of Mark, you should already recognize Jesus is different. He is Lord. He has all this power. He has all this authority. He's worthy of our attention. And we need to be people who who come to him and people who follow him and people who spread this, this gospel message. It's a similar type message as what Jesus was proclaiming during his day. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. We need to be actively following Jesus Christ and actively telling people about this good news. Next week, we're going to see even more examples that show us the power that Jesus has and how he's calling people of his own day to, to do things a little different, to recognize who Jesus is and to do something about it.